0: So Hebrews chapter 2, and we're looking at verse 14 to verse 15, which says this, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to to lifelong slavery. Now, in recent years, there, there has been a dramatic rise in the number of superhero films, right? It seems that's all we get in cinemas these days. I mean, there's a new one every time. I think I'm legally anticipating Avengers, the end game that is coming out. Uh, it's come out, I guess, this weekend, but, uh, oh no, it's next weekend, it's meant to, uh, to come out. This year alone, there has been 11 big blockbuster superhero films shared for this year. A few of them have come out, and a few are coming out. And that's actually double the amount produced in 2018. And this, of course, is in addition to the many superheroes we get on TV shows, video games, YouTube, and every sellable medium you can think of. The public's appetite for superheroes... Uh, type entertainment is bottomless. And as I thought about that, I asked myself the question, what is driving this demand for new superhero films? Well, according to the culture and film experts, the number one reason they give is that Western society is now increasingly anxious and gloomy about life in general. We look around Western civilization and everything is fractured. Society, politics, the environment, culture, religion, even our identities are fractured. People feel a sense of hopelessness and darkness in their lives. Mental health challenges are at historical height. Suicide among young people as is now the highest it has ever been in many Western nations. A sense of hopelessness and darkness. A Carmen Petasio writing in The Atlantic says, The cinema superheroes have become the contemporary American equivalent of Greek gods. He says, We are looking for heroes. As a civilization, we are living out the words of Whitney Houston in that famous song of ours, The Greatest Love of All, where Whitney sang and said, Everybody is searching for a hero people need someone to look up to. And then she continued in a sad way, didn't she? I never found anyone who fulfilled my needs. A lonely place to be. And then she goes on to say, and so I learned to depend on me. And it seems that's what we're doing now. We are depending on ourselves by creating what Carmen Petasio calls mythic characters who embody our loftiest hopes, deepest anxieties and insecurities. These are the characters we've created in cinema. And as I thought about why he says there, I think there's some truth in that on why we have these superheroes. Why they're growing in demand. That's a good surface reason, the, our general anxiety. But I think there is a deeper reason. And I think the deeper reason is that, as a society, we are actually trying to get in touch with our real, true superhero, who we abandoned a long time ago. Think about the basic plot of a superhero film. It's very simple. In a typical superhero film, the, the world starts to suffocate And then some evil person comes on the scene and bad things happen. Okay? Paradise, then the fall, right? And the people try and sort out the bad guy on their own. They try initially, right? On their own. But it never works, you know. Uh, Thankfully, you know, Batman shows up or Superman shows up or, or, or Iron Man shows up. And the hero usually who shows up resembles the people he's trying to serve. So there's a sense in which he shares their humanity or something about them. Even Captain Marvel shares something about the people she's trying to serve. So they're usually like them, and yet supernaturally very different. Of course, that's why they're heroes coming to serve. And so our heroes battles for us, doesn't doesn't she or he in the movie? And then after some cost to themselves... The hero always suffers some cost to themselves. Either is Superman battling against kryptonite. After some cost to himself, he eventually prevails. And of course, he succeeds. And we live happily thereafter, don't we? That's the basic plot of the film. The greatest role and consummation happens. So when you think about the superhero films, it becomes immediately obvious that most Human, like most human stories, our superhero films really tell a story that we find in the scripture: creation, fall, redemption, and consummation. Every story, the best stories that have ever been crafted, follows that creation, fall, redemption, and consummation. In a way, they are trying to retell what's already what's in the Bible. And that shouldn't surprise us when we see these movies or we read these stories. It shouldn't surprise us. I encourage you next time you watch a movie, watch out for those four stages. You'll find them there. And it shouldn't surprise us that we see that because, well, the one who co-authored the Bible with human beings also created us. The author of life, God, wrote the Bible. And so it's no surprise that we imitate him when we tell our own stories. Because in telling our own stories, we're just imitating the great storyteller, so to speak. But most importantly, we write these stories, really, uh, which mirror the Bible because we are longing for God, you see. We are longing for the true superhero. It's our prayer to God. We are crying out, asking for his help. And that's an important point to realize, because in every sin, there is rebellion against God, but there is also a cry out for us to be helped. So if you're struggling with an addiction, you're sinning against God, rebelling against Him, but but you're also crying out for help through that sin, because the sin highlights that you need Him. That thing you're addicted to cannot satisfy you, and you know that. And all the stories are like that. They are both expressing our humanity, but also crying out for our true superhero God himself. But you see, the good news of that of Resurrection Sunday, is that while we are out looking for a superhero, God had already launched his superhero mission, so to speak, to serve us. And last Sunday evening, as we've been looking at this series of how the death of Christ, the different ways in which the scripture shows that how the death of Christ serves us, this series we've been doing, We noted last week, didn't we, last Sunday evening, that God's mission to serve us begins in Genesis after the fall of man. And it culminates, redemption occurs, so to speak, on the cross where Jesus dies for our sins, and eventually, of course, consummation will happen in the new heavens and new earth. But we saw that last week, didn't we? Starting in Genesis, redemption occurs on the cross. And we've been looking at what the cross means for us. How does the cross serve us? And we've had five sermons on that over the last this year and last year. And now we're looking at the final picture. This passage in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 to 15, shows us how Jesus saves us. Uh, how Jesus saves us, how he brings us into life with God. And what I want us to see here is that Jesus has come as our divine warrior who conquers our enemies for us. We might say that Hebrews 2, 14-15 shows Jesus as F's true, mightiest hero. He is our victor. And so turn with me there to Hebrews 2 uh, verse 14 to verse 15. In your heart, I just want to share two things that we learn from this passage about how Jesus saves us. The first truth we learn is that Christ delivers us from the reign of death. Christ delivers us from the reign of death. Now, this week, it's been tragic, as I said. We have had a journalist killed in Northern Ireland, in Derry, I think. There's been that death that occurred in Madeira, right? 29 people dead in that bus accident. We've also picked up the death of a 16-year-old, a CBBC presenter, very well loved by children, died this week, this past week. There's been also another death in, in Peru. A former president committed suicide. Terrible, tragic death, as they were trying to go for him. And of course today we've had the Sri Lankan bombings in which already I think about four or five Brits were part of that. Terrible. Two hundred people dead there, five of them Brits. Very it's like the anniversary of Columbine The anniversary of Columbine, yeah. Yeah. There is that as well. Death is all around us, isn't it? And this morning we're reminded that death lives at our address. All of us would die one day. Humanity, you see, has created technology to conquer many things, but not death. As I said, death lives at our address, and there is no escaping death. In fact, the Bible depicts death as an inescapable enemy. Because, you see, when sin entered our world in the Garden of Eden, death followed behind. Romans chapter 5, verse 12 says this, Romans 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. We all sinned in Adam. The actor Woody Allen speaks, who you like, for everyone when he says, it's not that I'm afraid of dying, I just don't want to be there when it happens. He's recognizing death is there, but he doesn't recognize that his situation is actually much worse, or he didn't recognize. Because you see, the Bible says we are all already dead. Our physical death is just a visible manifestation of an internal death. This is what the author of Hebrews is getting at here when he tells us that all of us are under the reign of death. It's like a prison that holds us totally captive in fear. Let's read verse 14 to verse 15. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he, that is Jesus, likewise, partook of the thing. that means he became man, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. We'll come to that in a moment. But the thing I want you to see there is that a lot of Hebrews is making clear that death is a power that reigns over human beings. In verse 15 it goes on to say, and deliver all those who through the fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. The point is that death is in control for all of us. We are born like that, under the power of death. And when the author of Hebrews says the power of death, he's saying we are being held in bondage not only to physical death, but to eternal and spiritual death, because the physical death we see every day around us is actually revealing, it's a visible Evidence of a deeper death we all are, which is we've been cut off from the life of God. We die because we no longer, so to speak, have access to the tree of life. We die because we are not in touch with God Himself. We are not connected to Him. Since sin entered, it severed the connection. So all of us, as I said this morning, we are physically we will die physically. We are already dead spiritually, and it will be like that forever. Sin has left us banished from God, his presence and goodness. We are wandering, lost, living futile lives, wrapped in everlasting death. That's the human condition. So how do we escape that? Well, we can't do it. We can't do it. We are already dead. A dead person cannot mount a rescue for themselves. They are already dead. To escape death, we need someone like us That can die alongside us and rise from death with us. So that we can share in the life of that someone. So that we can live forever with that someone. We can share life with that rescuer. And the good news of Easter is that God the Son has done this. Only God can do this, right? And God the Son has come. He's put on our humanity, right? And He has physically shared death with us on the cross. Verse 14 makes that clear, doesn't it? Since therefore, children share, since we are human beings, he like, himself likewise became human. That's what he means there. Partook of the same things. That through death, he might destroy the one who was the power of death, that is the devil come to that, and deliver all those through fear of death who are subject to life long slavery. Jesus became like us, died with us, so to speak, and rose from the grave, giving us new life. He pulled us along as he was resurrected that Sunday. Easter Sunday morning. That is the good news of Jesus. See, Jesus could do this, you see, because he became fully man like us, while remaining fully God. But he could rise from the, de- from the dead because he lived a perfect life. So when he died, God raised him up as an affirmation of what he had done. If Jesus had lived a sinful life, Death would have been the end for him. But he didn't. He lived a perfect life. And God raised him up from the dead. And the good news of Easter is that when Jesus rose from the dead, well, all who trust in him rose with him. And because Jesus lives, all who trust in him have life in him. First John chapter 5, verse 11 to 13 says this. 1 John chapter 5, verse 11 to 13 says this. And this is a testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the true meaning of the defeat of death in Jesus. Beloved, it is not simply that all who trust in Jesus now live forever. Everyone lives forever. Everyone who dies lives forever. We need to get that. Everyone who dies lives forever. So Jesus didn't die to make us live forever. The true benefit of the death of Jesus is that if you trust in Jesus, you have been moved from the realm of death under the power of death, and now you have been moved into the realm of life. That's important. This is what the Bible means by eternal life. Some of us think eternal life is sort of being like Doctor Who, you know, regenerating forever, right? That's not what the Bible means. There's an element of that. In the Bible, eternal life is not just life without end. It is sharing in the life of the eternal God. It encapsulates the quantity and fundamentally the quality. We now live with God. We are not spending eternity separate from Him. We have eternal life because we have life eternal in Him. Sharing. Kononia. Partaking. Life flowing from Him. Because, and we live forever, don't we? Why? Because he is eternal and he sustains us. But God also sustains the wicked in hell, doesn't he? For wrath. But we are being sustained beyond the grave for fellowship with him. You see, to have eternal life, to have life with him, because we have moved from this realm of death into the realm of life with God, it means we've been welcomed into his heaven and sat alongside him. You are in him and him in you. He is your life, as Paul says in Colossians 3, verse 3. You see, to have life with Jesus means you, are now, you, you, you now share in the all the spiritual blessings of Christ. God in Christ now completely loves you, approves of you, accepts and delights you, and sees you as his very own. And all of that because of the Resurrection Sunday. All of that because Jesus defeated death and brought us, moved us from the reign of death into the reign of life. Since therefore children share in flesh and blood he himself likewise partook of the same thing that through death he might destroy the one who has the power over death, that is the devil. We have been moved from the devil's camp, we'll see in a moment. But from death's camp into the life camp. If you are trusting Jesus this afternoon, order on to this precious truth. Or unto this that you have life in God now. Because if you do that, you transform how you live now. Let me give you one example of how you transform how you live now. How having confidence in Jesus that he has defeated death for you changes how you live. Maybe you are a person who constantly fights and quarrels with people around you. Maybe you do that at home. Maybe with your neighbors. Maybe in the church. Maybe in the workplace. Why do you live like that? Why are we always quarreling with people? I ask myself that. Why are we always at odds with one another? The reason we quarrel with people is because we feel other people are denying us the peace of the pie. They are taking our place in the sand, aren't they? Every time you yell at your wife or your kids, you are saying they are denying you the life that you long for in this world. Every time you gossip about a co-worker who says horrible things to you, you do it because you feel your colleague is denying you the respect that you deserve. The reason you think you need these things from people is that you forget that Jesus rose from the grave and that if you are in him, you share life with him, you now live in the realm of life, not the realm of death. Do you get the point here? You don't need to draw life from people because this world is dead. It's consigned to be burned up. So if you're in Jesus now, you must draw life from Him. You are trying to live your life drawing life, respect from people, acceptance, everything. And the reign of death now you know, upsets you. But if you're in Christ, you must draw life from Him. You don't need to draw life from people. You have the very life of God living in. In fact, you can't draw life from people. The world is dead, it's ready to be burned. But Jesus has given you His life. So, what more do you need? God is saying to you this afternoon put your weapons of war down, put the weapons of vicious words, fight with others, cold heartedness. You don't need to fight any to be right. You live under the realm of life, not death. He sins therefore for the children, share in flesh and blood. He himself partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. Death has been vanquished if you are in Christ. So you don't need to prove to anyone anything. Stop looking to the realm of death for respect. The realm of death, as Charles Wesley was saying, I think, in Hymn 600, is over for those in Christ. Jesus has given you new life with Him. And you are not facing life on your own. So just this simple truth, when you start reflecting on it, it changes how we live. It makes us look to Christ. It makes us realize what we already have. The second truth we learn here, that's the first truth. The first truth is that Christ delivers us from the reign of death. The second truth we learn it, and it's a final point is that Christ destroys the power of the devil for us. For us. The author of Hebrews here tells us here that the reason God the Son put on our humanity and died on the cross is to defeat the devil for us. That's clear from verse 14. That through death in the middle there, it might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. Now, we've had so many sermons about the devil, we? we? did a long eight-month study about the devil, right? <laughs> People just, just about survived that one, right? A few I noticed stopped coming, uh, it got too hectic. And we've been going through Mark verse by verse, haven't we? And we just been meeting the devil everywhere. I didn't realize there was so much of the devil in the Bible. I mean, That sounds like errors, doesn't it? But I didn't realize just the devil is on every page, up to no good. I never expected to preach so many sermons on the subject of Satan as I've done in my first two and a half years here as pastor. So I'll take it for granted that you know who the devil is and I'll take it for granted that you are tired of hearing about him. So what I would say here, simply from verse 14, is just to notice some interesting things. We should not hear here that the author of Hebrews is teaching us that the devil is a real person, not a force. This is not Star Wars, this is real life, right? It's not the dark side, He's a person. He, and he calls him here the one who has the power of death. In other words, the devil is an individual person with personal agency. And that's why it's important, because whatever we make of the devil, beloved, let us remember it is a serious matter. The devil is our number one enemy. Let us remember that we are dealing with a clever, rational, purposeful, and extremely evil person. We are not dealing with personification of evil. Let us also remember that the devil is evil to the core. His name tells us, isn't it? The devil, the word is Diabolos. Because why? Because he lives to slander the name of God in everything he does. Let us also remember from our previous studies that the devil has an entire infrastructure of principalities and powers. I call it a spiritual bureaucracy, which is always up to no good. And we started that when we looked at that passage in Ephesians 6. But his Bible we understand that Satan lives to promote the works of darkness. And in this passage we see that he promotes sin and death in all its dimensions. Let's read verse 14 to 15 again. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. The author of Hebrews, he actually depicts the devil as holding human beings in a spiritual prison through the power of death. We are unable to escape his house of horrors. And when I preached on Mark chapter 3 uh, on binding the strong man, Jesus talks about that. I made this point of the fact that we must conceive of the world as a spirit, as an invisible spiritual cage. And this world, the devil holds people captive there; they can't escape. But this verse tells us that Jesus has inflicted permanent defeat on our foe. The devil stands routed by our heavenly champion. That through death he might destroy. The object of destruction is the devil. But we have to, Jesus has to destroy death first to get to the devil. He might destroy the one who has the power of death, who? That is the devil. The author of Hebrews is saying that by Jesus defeating death through his resurrection, he has robbed the, the devil the power he holds over us. And this is why it's important for us to understand what death was. This is why we dealt with that point first. It isn't just physical death. The devil's power is the fact that he introduced sin in this world which separates us from God. And all who are separate from God therefore belong enter this world, well, in the household of the devil. I make this point that when a child is born, immediately, immediately, they enter the household of Satan by default. And the work of redemption and serving must now take place through Christ to bring them into life. This is quite important for us to grasp, isn't it? Because it, it, it helps us to understand that Jesus, through his death now, on the cross, has robbed that power the, the devil has. He has disarmed him. Because Jesus Christ has risen from the dead, and having risen from the dead, he's given us new life. And when we have new life in Jesus, we are now transferred from the realm of death, the realm of Satan, into the kingdom of Christ. And that's why Paul writing in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. Verse 14. Notice that the cross is still the vehicle for our deliverance. If you are in Jesus, the devil is now defeated for you. The devil has been defeated because you now have life in Christ. Jesus, if you like, delivered a knockout punch against the satanic forces on the cross, and the empty tomb now stands as our eternal monument to his victory. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, Christ is your victor. You share in this victory over the devil. Now, I know as you sit here this evening, you may say, well, or this afternoon... I don't feel so victorious, children. If Christ is victorious and I'm sharing in this victory, why is the devil still around and harassing me every day? He is. Who is causing all of these evil things in my life? The answer is that the devil has been truly defeated in Christ, is being defeated in Christ, and will be defeated in Christ. That's why I'm going to understand that three-fourth defeat of the devil. He was defeated on the cross. We are defeating him in our lives. And you will finally be cast down, completely removed from the earth and chucked into the eternal, well into the pit as we read in Revelation. But it's important that you understand the present defeat of Satan. He is defeated. And we may ask the question, why does God allow the devil to be there? I think I've got another answer on that but I won't go to it. Right? Why Why does God allow the devil to be around. There are two answers to that, right? But just the answer, I think, which is more personal to all of us, is this. God allows the devil to remain so that we may share in the victory of Jesus over Satan. See, it's like this. The devil is being held on the leash by Christ. He's been defeated, right? He's like a dog held on the leash now, right? And you have the privilege now, or we would say it's a criminal who's been defeated and Christ is going you. Well, you have the privilege, forgive me for using this, uh, putting it so crudely, but you have the privilege of delivering holy blows against the devil. Christ holds him there defeated. And you are like, you know, it's like a bully, right? Who's been disarmed. And now others can come and knock him out. Think of Saddam Hussein when he was removed from Iraq. Everybody came and chucked shoes at him, didn't they? You have that now. In Christ now, Christ keeps the devil there in this world so that you can share in the victory over the devil. How? Well, you share in the victory over the devil every time you say no to sin. There was a time when sin controlled you, but now when you're tempted, you say no to sin, you win victory over the devil. You're like, ha-ha, <laughs> you are like ha you can not get me here now. I live for Jesus' now. I can't, I can't put up with that sin. I don't want it. I live for God now. You see, the devil is like a lion with no teeth now, really, isn't it? It, it can harass us, frighten us. But it, it can do no lasting damage if you're in Christ. And God is giving us the opportunity to learn some holy punches through living a holy life and saying no to sin. But more than that, through sharing the gospel. If the devil was removed, who's, why evangelize? But we must evangelize because evangelism and preaching of the word of God is spiritual warfare. You know, every time you share Jesus with another person, you tell them about Jesus. You are landing some holy blows, brother. When you are out there preaching the word of God, you are taking the enemy's territory. You are reminding Satan, he can't stop the advance of the word of God. This is why sharing the good news of Jesus is the the most exciting privilege. Because God could have done it without us. But he does it through us, doesn't he? And not only through us, but through us sharing. We share in his victory. Jesus doesn't just want you to turn upon the parade. The parade is coming at the end of the age. But he's done something more. He, he, you know, the, we're, we're, we're already winning. Ten nil down, right? Certain is, right? He's already out. And we are the ex-substitutes being thrown in just to enjoy the game. We see that in football, don't we? The team has already won. Let's send in the reserves. right? That's the joy of being a believer in Christ. With this victory already secured for us. That is why the devil still lets around. For your benefit, actually. Now, I know you may still be thinking, well, I get that, and I really do. And I've really surrendered to Jesus, but to be honest, I still feel low often. <laughs> to be honest, Joel, my work with Christ often feels like the government's war on terror. One day, I am successful in one area. Another day, I suffer defeat. Well, welcome to the real world, right? That's the case for, me, for all of us in Christ. We do suffer upsets. And sometimes we can feel like hypocrites, can't we? When we are trying to serve the Lord and then we stumble. When the devil seems to laugh at us because we've stumbled in some sin. And sometimes we can doubt whether Jesus is at work in our lives, whether what we've talked about, this Christ being our victor, is really true. I think we all recognize this and we all feel challenged by this in some way. But I want to remind you here that the point of this passage is not to look at yourself, but to look at Christ. The Bible is saying, look at Jesus. Look at him on that brutal Roman cross we saw on Good Friday. You are there with him if you are in Christ. As he's dying, you are dying with him, what tells us in Colossians. Take a look at the tomb of Jesus. It is empty, isn't it? Resurrection Sunday. Jesus is alive, we said. He is risen. We read the account of the angel. He is not here. He is risen. Just like he said he would. When we look at that empty tomb with Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and others, we can say, death cannot hold our Lord. And because death could not hold him, we are now risen with him to new life forever. And take a look at the seat of heaven, isn't it? Jesus is now sat there. And Paul writing to the church at Ephesus says, We are now sat with him in the heavenly places. We are ruling and reigning with victorious in heaven with Christ. Now and if you keep looking at him, if you keep focus your focus on Jesus, if you keep looking at the cross, one of these days, well, perhaps in our lifetime, you shall see certainly. If not in our lifetime, when you die, you shall see the Lord face to face. You will live with Him in the new heavens and the new earth. One day, the reign of death and the devil will completely disappear. There will be no sin. I said last time, last Sunday evening. I can't wait for that. I can't wait for that. I am tired of sin in my life. I'm tired of it. What I would give for a world where i never sin anymore. No evil thoughts. No laziness. Where I can eat properly. I mean, what I would give for that. One day there will be a world with no sin. No more pain. No death. No losses of loved ones. No more Satan harassing us. The reign of life we have in Christ will come to fullness. Easter Sunday says to us, Resurrection Sunday says to us that we will live with him forever because he's risen. And beloved, if you are in Christ, this is your reality. And if you have loved ones who are not yet in Christ, this is your hope for prayer for them. To pray that they come to know Christ. So that they could also spend eternity with Him. So whatever situation you are in this Easter Sunday, I just want to encourage you. You have reason to rejoice if you are in Christ. Because your victor, Christ, has truly conquered. Our true superhero. Amen.